knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned, there's not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi and welcome to Theology Gals podcast and I'm Colleen Sharp and my co-host is Ashley Glassick. Hey Colleen. Hey. How's it going? It's going well. Um, I saw something kind of funny this week on Twitter. Uh, someone tweeted, if you've been married less than five years, please don't make videos or books giving marriage advice. Those years are for you to be quiet, experience life, and grow in wisdom. And I thought it was funny because I read the comments and <laughs> all the comments are like, I've read my Bible. You know, I know, you know, in my two years of marriage, I know all there is to know because scripture, you know, like I, I, I have a good understanding of biblical marriage and it just kind of made me laugh. Um, and, actually, and scripture never like points to age and wisdom, apparently. <laughs> yes. <Just kidding. laughs> yes. And so I posted it as a joke and I said, I'm going to wait until you're six and then I'm going to be, I'll be writing my book on marriage. Um, so you guys can look out for that in about two years. <laughs> you know, it's funny when I was like young married, I, I really did think I knew everything. And then now in year 23, I'm like, I need to wait like another 15 years before right. I even think. <laughs> when, when I posted it on Facebook, most people were commenting that like, man, I've been married 20 years and I still don't, you know, think I could write a book. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, to think, to think you've like, I've, I've totally seen this where people like celebrate are celebrating like one year and then they come out with this video about like, how to be married. And it's like, you've been married for one year. Right. <laughs> like, right. Just, just wait, just, just wait. Like, we love that you're happy. We love that you're excited, but just, you know, give some advice in, in 10 years, you know, and, and I would say, yes, those, those basic principles from scripture, you, you do know those, but the thing is, is that when you write a marriage book, it's taking those basic principles from scripture and it is adding your wisdom and experience to it. So mm -hmm. yes, you know, those basic principles in scripture, but, um, you don't need to, 
what makes a book or messages or whatever unique is that is bringing that wisdom and experience into it. So yeah. I would, I would say that. And I, I, there are things, I think my husband and I, um, I mean, God is just, I, every single day I, I think and, and thankful to God for such a, a wise and gracious and kind and loving husband. And there, there are things that, that we have, that we have learned. And one thing that I, I don't think that we will ever write a marriage book, but <laughs> one thing I'm grateful we've been able to do, and that is to develop relationships with young couples. And that's, that's something that there was a, um, a couple that was in our lives when we got married and they said, one of the things that they said to us is find an older couple that's been married longer that you can spend time with, that you can learn from, that you mm -hmm. can go to. And that, that is one thing that I will, that, that will be my marriage advice for the day. But, <laughs> and we had those couples in our lives and now we've been able to be that couple that's to really other sweet. people and, and still have even older couples than us in our yeah. lives. Well, I'm also thinking of someone well-known who wrote a dating book when he was 21. And <laughs> who's I now mean, saying, um, who's I now, made some mistakes. yeah, who's now kind of going, you know, I maybe didn't understand everything when I was 21 yeah. and wrote that book. So, and I think that's normal. Like, I mean, usually 21-year-olds think they know. Mm -hmm. I mean, 16-year-olds think they know how the world, you know. In fact, I was just telling my students this week, you know, they're 12. My students are 12, um, 13. And I was telling them, we were talking about tattoos, and they were asking me questions about tattoos. And I said, do not get a tattoo until you're 25 because your frontal lobe or whatever isn't fully formed, and that's where you make your decisions. <laughs> and yes. no one looks back at a tattoo they got when they were 17 and says, I'm so glad I got that tattoo. <laughs> so, yes, like, just wait. You know, uh -huh. when my um, oldest son came home with a tattoo, I was not very happy. And it's not because I think tattoos are wrong. It's because I thought you are 19. Yeah. <laughs> you are probably going to regret that tattoo. Uh, yeah. I remember thinking of a tattoo I really wanted when I was about 20. And I, I, I don't think I'll ever get a tattoo because I, I yeah, just made that, that level of commitment to something like right. you have to look at on your skin forever um right but I, I you know i didn't get it and i look back and go that was a terrible idea <laughs> i'm so <laughs> glad i didn't get that tattoo right it's not so. like a haircut you know you get a bad haircut you can grow <laughs> it out yeah um or yeah, even a piercing hair color yeah yeah you can take a piercing out but uh a tattoo yeah and and please um, don't think that we're saying we're opposed to tattoos because no. we, we are, and there's probably people like you're okay with tattoos and, um, <laughs> that's because we do not Can't believe win. that the Leviticus passage actually pertains to all tattoos. But, um, yeah, I think, I think that's true. There was a, there was like a little saying that was like, when you're, when you're a teenager, you, you realize how stupid your parents are. And then mm -hmm. when, when you're 25, you can't, you can't believe how much they've learned. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh -huh. oh, my parents are smart. I never realized. Yeah. 
they really knew what they were talking about when they said this or that. Yeah. I've, I've totally had those moments. Well, and you're kind of at that age, I think, too, where your relationship with your parents is, I mean, because you're still in your 20s, um, right. has gone through kind of that transformation. Because you go from teenage and how you see your parents. And I think right. even even when you get married and now you're having a child, I think yes. those things yes. all, they really change your relationship with your parents and hopefully for good. I mean, in, in for mm -hmm. most people, I think they, they often do. And I think even having a child makes you look at your parents differently. Like I often thought the way I held my, you know, held my newborn baby and my love for that child, like, wow, this is how my parents felt about me. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm their child, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I reflect definitely. <laughs> many things, many things even like that, even like, you know, finishing college and then getting a job where you're paying like serious taxes because you're making a lot more money than you know those even those things like you're yes. like oh I, under I understand how my parents thought through finances because when I look at my paycheck there's this big chunk of money I'm not getting and you know right uh, oh well wait till your child one day goes and gets a job and then they get their first paycheck because we've gone through this with our kids they get the first paycheck and they're like wait I thought it was going to be more than this <laughs> you know uh -huh. it's like yep. well wait they what's all this for that they're taking out? <laughs> uh -huh. Yep. That's fun to look at. Yeah. Well, today we're going to be talking with, we, well, we have an interview with Rachel Miller and is this going to be a two weeks because it's a long interview. So Ashley and I are splitting it up into two weeks and that is the subject of patriarchy. And we wanted to, we probably could have even made the interview longer, but we couldn't keep Rachel forever. So, uh, but we, we know that there was so much interest in the subject and a lot of questions from the gals in our group. And so we tried to get to as many of those and we're going to play half of that this week and then we'll play the other half next week. So we're going to go to that right now and then we'll be back at the end for our yeah about that. And we are back with Rachel Miller. I think a lot of our listeners will be familiar with her. We had her on before to talk about eternal subordination of the sun. If you haven't listened to that episode, I will link it in the notes of this episode because it, the topic does kind of fit in with what we're going to be talking about today. And I think before we even kind of dig into the subject of of patriarchy, I thought it would be helpful to talk about what it is that we do believe mm -hmm. about yeah. men and women and and the church and the family. Uh, Could you just say like a few things about that, Rachel? Sure. Uh, I kind of give my, my bullet points when I have discussed this by starting with, um, we believe that God made man, male and female, in the image of God, um, in Christ, uh, male and female are equal before God. Uh, husbands in marriage are called to sacrificial servant leadership of their wives to love them as Christ loves the church. Wives are called to voluntary submission to their husbands, submitting as the church does to Christ. Um, in the church, we believe that ordination should be restricted to qualified men. Um, marriage should be between one man and one woman, ideally for life. And in general, men and women need each other and are dependent on each other. 
Um, that's kind of my I outline. Think, I think that's I a great summary. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, because it covers both the home and the church, mm -hmm. which is important. Absolutely. And I think also before we talk about Christian patriarchy, we should probably distinguish that from the secular use of the word patriarchy, just, yes. just so no one's confused that, you know, we're not talking about like a group of men that are like controlling society or I, I'm not actually entirely sure what the patriarchy means in the secular world, but I know that it's very upsetting <laughs> to certain <laughs> groups of people. Um, we are not talking about that. <laughs> right. We're some talking people, about, yeah, go some ahead. Some people seem to think that, um, particularly secularly, that any kind of male leadership, any kind of uh, even submission in the home by for women, um, anything that, that puts men in a position of leadership is patriarchy. Mm. And, um, I don't think that's correct. I, I don't think that that is a good use of the word. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, like you know, as we talked about biblically, there are um, places that um, you know husbands have leadership, um, pastors have leadership, and that's not that it's not patriarchy to have that. Yeah. Uh, it, systemically, to say that all men are, should be leaders over all women would be a patriarchal system. Mm negative so. mm -hmm. but that's not really what um, that's not really the extreme that some people think about yeah and so when when feminists hold signs that say down with the patriarchy they're not talking about what exactly we're talking about today <laughs> it's, it's an like, aspect of it but yeah it's not it, they mean more by it um, yeah uh, you know just like there are some in the church that any woman who speaks up about theology is a feminist, right? That that's mm. not a real use of the word, not a good use of the word. Okay. Um, so any man in leadership is not an example of patriarchy because of their extreme positions or understandings. Okay. All right. Well, that's helpful. Um, okay. So what is it we are talking about? What is Christian patriarchy? Um, Christian or biblical patriarchy, the terms both get used. Um, really is a movement that was founded in response to um, second wave feminism, to egalitarianism in the home and the church and society, um, you know, the sexual revolution of the 60s. It's, it's that time period. Uh, people in the church got concerned about uh, what was happening in society, what was happening in the church, uh, divorce in, in homes and uh, breakup of families. And there were a variety of responses and biblical patriarchy came out of that. Um, and really what they're responding to, what they want is to have um, all of society, the church, the home, um, that men should be in leadership in all of these um, areas. Mm -hmm. And they think that that is the most biblical position that men are, men are by nature leaders and mm -hmm. should be appropriately mm -hmm. the rulers because you know, patriarchy means father rule. Um, in this case, it would be male rule of the various areas in life. Mm -hmm. um, so along those lines, they have a really strong um, separate 
uh, or they, along with a strong belief in the separate spheres of there's the public sphere of uh, society, um, leadership, the church, and there's the private sphere of the home and domestic duties. And they would say that men are more properly suited for being in the public and running things and women are more properly suited for being at home, caring for home and family. Um, and in that way, they describe men and women as uh, really not just different, but really opposites. So that, you know, men are leaders by nature. So women are submissive by nature. Women, men are providers and protectors and initiators. They're strong. Women are soft and yielding and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, gentle, quiet, right? But that is the way we were made and in, in many ways, more like a kind of a yin and yang look at men and women that we are, you know, it's hot versus cold, you know, just real opposite instead of being different, but equal. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. Um, and, and that's in all, all spheres of life. Yes. Right. In the home. Yeah. Right. Well, because it's not about, instead of being about like the relationship of a husband and wife or the relationship between the church leaders in the congregation. Um, it's about the very nature of men and women so that men are inherently leaders by God's design and women are inherently submissive by God's design. Mm -hmm. um, and so whenever anyone goes against that, so if a woman is a CEO of a company, for example, then she is rebelling against God mm -hmm. and the divine order. And so that, those kinds of rebellion, they would say, have caused the failures and breakdowns in society and the church and the home that we see happening around us. But that's the mm. the cause, the root cause. Mm. Um, so according to them, yeah, women should not be leaders uh, in any of the home, church or state or society, not in politics or business. It's just not their place. Mm. So they believe men should, um, they would say, man up and lead in order to um, uh, take back society, to improve society, to um, make things um, more biblical, I guess. Um, they see everything then through this lens of everything is about authority and submission. Um, this I didn't have this written down, but just a real quick question. Is, mm -hmm. is um, patriarchy... I don't know the answer to this. Is it more, is it more typical among um, post-millennials? Kind of seems that, or are the, or should I say, are, do they tend to embrace that? Because it seemed, there would seem like there would be some connections in what they're trying to create in society. There certainly are some, um, but there are some pre-mill dispensational groups as well. So it's hard to. Okay. I'm just thinking about trying to, to see if there's a connection running through some, some of the groups in my mind. Um, all of them want to build better societies. There's a, um, a strong um, reconstruction theonomist bent mm -hmm. as well. Um, not that all are, but just some yeah. themes that run together. So it's not, it's not unique to one particular... Mm -mm. It's it's found in a lot of different places. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think in reform circles we probably see the a lot of it, or a lot of them tend to be more in the reconstruction. Mm. Sure. Reconstructionist camp. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, 
I've, I've heard a lot of people, uh, and you've probably seen this too, say that patriarchy is pretty much the same thing as complementarianism. Right. Is, is it just another name for com complementarianism? Uh, it shouldn't be. Um, they really should be very uh, distinctly different. Uh, you know, like we talked about, you know, some people say, you know, any kind of leadership is patriarchy. So there are some people that will say, just because you believe that um, husbands should be leaders in the home, um, that uh, wives should submit, that uh, only men should be pastors, that when you get to that, they'll say, oh, well, obviously that's just patriarchy. It's just the same thing. But mm -hmm. uh, it really shouldn't be the same because with um, complementarianism as you know it was originally described as most people mean it um it should just mean that men and women are uh, equal before god complementary in our abilities that in, you know as we said in the home um there is um, husbands have leadership and in the church qualified men are leaders and it should really be restricted to that um mm -hmm. Unfortunately, there are a number of complementarians who take it further and argue that, you know, women um, by nature really shouldn't be leaders, uh, even in society. And it's not good for women to be um, like political leaders or cops or, you know, there are certain positions that are just not appropriate because they're women. Mm -hmm. um, and so that there's an unfortunate blending of ideas. Uh, that happens and that, that, so there's a legitimate uh, complaint when people say well you're just saying the same thing and then there's a, a way at which it really shouldn't be the same it yeah it seems like the definitions get really fuzzy because mm -hmm. aspects of what you're saying about patriarchy it's like that sounds right or almost right right or almost complementarian um and so it, it's it's kind of hard to distinguish it can yes. be hard to distinguish between the two um, certainly. Um, and, you know, it's, it's equally confusing when some people who are, who call themselves patriarchy, use the term complementary to describe the relationship between men and women. And then some people who claim that they are complementarians mm -hmm. uh, defend the use of patriarchy. So then you get this mix of, you know, confusion over what people are saying and the terms they're using. Mm -hmm. um, the real difference, I would say, like what, what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that when you get down to what they believe about the nature of men and women, that, you know, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. Hmm. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. It's, this is their nature. Hmm. That that is that is very different, um, a distinction of patriarchy that is not from scripture. It's not what, um, what we should be, what we should believe. It's where it goes too far. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand this. Let me see if I can, mm -hmm. let me see if I can articulate it. Um, sure. so you're saying that like a patriarchal person would say by nature, like I am submissive that's just who i am mm -hmm. whereas a complementarian would say that's something i'm called to in the home is to submit to my husband not necessarily um, my nature i would say that 
that that should be the difference between what a patriarchal person would say versus what someone who is following scripture would say. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of complementarians uh, who would say something very similar to the patriarchal, okay. um, which is a concern that I have, but um, mm-hmm. I don't think that that's uh, consistent with scripture at that point. Okay. Yeah, so we should probably dig into like what, why do we think that, you know, the compliment, I guess we could call it the complementarian way, right? I know even that word gets a little fuzzy, but right. why, why do we think that's biblical? Like, what do we see in scripture? Sure, like, so how patriarchy is different from scripture? Yeah, in yeah. scripture, yeah. Um, well, of course, we do agree, right? Like we said, about what the Bible teaches about husbands as um, spiritual leaders in the home, and, um, men as, or qualified men as leaders in the church. But uh, scripture doesn't teach that women can't be leaders in society or in politics or in business. Um, it doesn't teach that there's a, you know, there's the separate spheres of, of, you know, public versus private. Um, you see examples with uh, Lydia and her business. Um, in uh, the New Testament, you see uh, the Proverbs 31 woman and her um, her activities in uh, business and in commerce and in the public world. Uh, and she's praised for it. You know, this is part of what's good of what she's doing. Um, of course, Deborah in the Old Testament, um, as a judge, these they're all active in mm-hmm. the outside world and in uh, business in a way that isn't dishonoring to them as women. As women, it's not dishonoring to their husbands. You know, um, it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I have actually heard that Deborah's being a judge was like judgment on. Israel, have you heard that before? Oh yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> yeah, a um, couple different things people say. They either say that um, that Deborah was a judge it was was judgment because there weren't any good men who were willing to lead, and uh, it was um, a sign of of, of judgment. Uh, the other is, is that she's non-normative, right? So we shouldn't use her as an example of how things should be, um, but. The, the scripture passages, if you read what it says, it never says that, well, there weren't any men, so God called on Deborah. Hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't say that, you know, Deborah was raised up in punishment over the men, right? Hmm. Um, she leads. Um, uh, she uh, is honored, right? She's She's praised. Um, jail is too, you know, that it's, it's not, it's not seen or not described as, um, as something that was a punishment or something that was inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it, but no one will listen when you make the argument. It's just yeah. <laughs> the people that believe that are going to believe that no matter right, how much you yeah. look at the scripture and say, it's not, it doesn't say that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've, I've always heard that. I've never, and I've never thought twice about it. It's just something I've always heard. So. Right. Kind of interesting. Uh, I wrote a post uh, called redeeming uh, Barack uh, talking about that. Hmm. Uh, so to check that out. And I used uh, one of the, uh, Old Testament commentaries on judges by Block, I think, 
and his take on it. I thought that was helpful. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, and you've written. You've written a lot about this subject in general. We're going to link several of those, mm. and we can link that one, all the one that you just mentioned, also okay. in in these. Um, so where, where did these extreme views come from? Like someone in our group said, is this just a carryover from, you know, a different time where things were different or is this something new, especially that the Christian perspective where we're trying to fit these ideas into some sort of biblical model? Um, my argument is that these ideas originated um, with the, the pagan Greeks and the Romans. Uh, the, the idea of the separate spheres comes from Aristotle. Um, the idea is that women by nature are inferior or weaker. It comes out of the Greek philosophies. Um, what happened over time, um, once you get through history to the Renaissance, and they, they the rebirth of, of interest in Greek and Roman thought is they brought up all those old philosophies. And then with the Victorian era, they took those old philosophies and they incorporated them into um, Christianity. So it's kind of like they baptized them and said, yes, this, these ideas, this is biblical. Mm -hmm. um, and for the, the biblical patriarchy movement, what happened was After, after World War II, after um, you know the the baby boom of the 1950s, and then the sexual revolution and second wave feminism, there was a desire to return to you know the good old days. But you know what they're going back to is a, a cultural ideal that wasn't a biblical ideal. Um, so yes, it's a very old but it has been incorporated into, this is what it means to be Christian. Um, hmm. That makes sense. Like like a cultural, the cultural ideal of like when men were generally in charge right. of society and yeah, the kind of idyllic, like almost the fifties, right? I mean, the fifties. It is very much had that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting too, is because the fifties are kind of an, an odd return to something older because after the first wave feminists, you have, you know, women getting the right to vote. You have women going to college, women working, um, the first women doctors and lawyers, right? So there, there were a lot of changes in society going on. And um, after World War II and the men all came home and people wanted to go back to prosperity, it, there was a real push. Women stopped going to college. They started getting married out of high school. They mm -hmm. uh, it, so it, it it created something that hadn't that had that that was older, uh, an older idea about um, the proper place for men and women, and um, even you know today we could talk about you know people um, complain that uh, marriage rates or people are getting older or getting married later and later in life. Mm -hmm. um, the fifties people were getting married earlier and earlier and earlier than they had been. So that some of the, like our, our grandparents or great grandparents getting married as early, as early as they did in their teens. Wow. Um, that was really the aberration. It was unusual. Um, 
So it's just it's interesting to see perspective wise that you know the what happened in the fifties was different. Mm -hmm. All right. So next question. Let's talk mm -hmm. about parenting. Mm -hmm. How does Christian pa patriarchy play out in parenting? Um, in a few ways. First off, because it does mean father rule, um, and they have, fathers have a very unique or uh, defined role of authority uh, in the home. Uh, some describe it as like they're, they're kings, priests, prophets in their homes. And it can be a very controlling environment, um, controlling the behavior of their kids. Um, there are families that would say that their girls um, wear their hair and, and dress in the way that their daddy likes, right? So it's it's, it's even to that extent, not just let's be modest, but you know, dad likes these colors, so that's what we wear. Dad likes long hair with curls, so that's what we do. Um, uh, so even like catering to preferences. Um, mm. You can see it, the control in, uh, in courtship, not all of them do it, but courtship is the model that's um, preferred and it's father led the dads and then the potential suitors are the ones who are really working things out about what's going to happen and how relationships are going to go. Um, and you have the stay at home daughter movement where mm -hmm. daughters are expected to stay at home until they're married under the influence of their fathers. Um, and even told to practice being helpers by being their dad's helpers, like, like a junior wife in some way. It's weird um, mm -hmm. in its application. Um, like um, waiting on dad and bringing him things. And um, In some of the movement, there's a lot of talk about fathers are supposed to have a vision for their family. So there's, there's the father's vision. Um, and so children then are supposed to um, help promote, advance, accomplish dad's, their dad's vision for the family. So you get a lot of that hmm. setting the tone, not just setting the tone of the family, but controlling what people do and think. Um, it influences parenting in a way, um, I call it fear-based parenting. Um, there's concern about outside influences. So it's, it's very isolating. Uh, you, you don't want to have the wrong influence. It's in, and to a degree, I mean, we're all parents, or, you know, most just are parents. We understand that you have to make decisions about what people, what your kids come in contact with. You have to be careful about things. You want to be um, cautious, right? I get that. But there's more than that when, when you believe if I do all the right things and I keep my kids protected from all the, the bad things, then I can guarantee that they're going to be good Christian people when they grow up. And you know, they'll, they'll use the Proverbs, train up a child, right? And mm -hmm. um, like, it's, like it's, a, it's a formula, right? If I do it right, then I get the right things. And it doesn't work that way because you know, even if we isolate all the bad influences from outside, if you can, you know, there's still us. We're still there and we still have, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, so in parenting, you can see it in some of the educational choices. <clears throat> not all patriarchal people will homeschool, but lots of them do. Mm -hmm. 
Some use private or Christian classical schools as well. But the idea is it keeps the authority structure intact, right, through how you educate, because then the dad is still in, in charge over the mom and the mom's in charge over the kids and the dad is in charge of education. Hmm. Um, yeah, I wanted to add right there. One of them told me, because being in homeschool circles, we actually mm -hmm. know quite a few of these people. And the yes. dad said that he was in charge of educating his children, but he delegated a lot of it out to his wife. So even right. though he was doing the teaching, it was because he delegated it to her. Right. Yes. That And that is what you see. Um, I've known families that the moms always volunteer to teach Sunday school. And the reason is they don't believe their children should learn from anyone else. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's about keeping this, um, they call it an umbrella of protection intact. So there's Christ over the dad, over the mom, over the kids. As long as you stay within that and you're, you're under the, the proper authority structures, then nothing bad will happen to you. Hmm. So is this where, and I know this is going to step on some toes because it's popular now, but is that where the family integrated church movement came from then? It's connected. Um, it's probably not, you know, one-to-one -one that all family integrated or patriarchy, but there's, there's a strong connection. Mm -hmm. um, strong belief about keeping families together, keeping the authority structures together. Um, you'll see it in some churches along those lines as well, that only the head of household uh, votes, so it's the, the dad, only the dad votes on things in church. Um, communion is handed out to the heads of the family who handed out to the families, to their kids mm -hmm. and wives. And you know, if, you're, if your husband's not there, well, maybe your, your you know, little son can go get, the, get it for you, right? Wow. Because you can't. Right. If you're a single woman there, then you can't go get it unless an elder gets it for you. And there's a whole set of, you know, it's really about maintaining the authority structures. Why would, why would a little son be an authority figure in place of a dad? I'm because trying to understand man. that because he's a man. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the only reason. That's it. Huh. So like you're, like if your husband's not at church and it's communion Sunday, mm -hmm. your 12 year old son. Yes. Should yes. Serve you communion. Mm -hmm. Yes. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Um, now in most, in most, I mean, in, in, at least in the OPCs I've been in, mm -hmm. it's, it's the elders that are serving yes. the communion. And I, I imagine the PCA is pretty similar. Yes. Exclusively. So, Yes, it should always be the elders handing it out. Right. So I'm guessing they, maybe they're just not in those churches or they're finding a way around it or. Some of them are finding a way around it. Most of them are not. The The, the only big name that I can think of that's family integrated that was in the OPC was told that he could not continue to both be in the OPC and family integrated. Yeah. So, and we're we're not we're not saying children shouldn't be in church with their parents because we're no 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 no, no no yeah no. we're talking about like this in a very specific family integrated yes my kids are generally have generally been with us in church um, my my oldest went to nursery because he loved people and he wanted mm -hmm. to be with the people 
my younger two hated nursery and so they were always yeah. with me but it's not it was it's not a statement of what i think has to happen right well and i i think there's been some confusion i've seen it in our group where people some people have you know things get redefined where they think family integrated just means kids being in the service and so this came up in the group and someone said but but I'm in a Presbyterian church and our ch children are in the service. So what am I? And I said, you're covenantal. Your children right. are in the service because of what we believe about, about our, ch about baptism and our children being part of the covenant. Not it's, it's based on something different than what the family integrated church is. Family integrated church would say that any separate segregation, they call it an um, age, age, age segregation, excuse me, of children um, is a secular um, uh, idea that we have incorporated to church. So mm -hmm. any kind of Sunday school, youth group, um, anything where kids are separated ever, not just we, we encourage families to sit together in church or your, all your kids are welcome in the church service. Not, not just that. It's much more, um, it's a much it's a different ideology about how to do church. So this is something that also, and a lot of our questions when Ashley and I were doing this episode, we asked in the group, and that I don't think I've seen so much interest in an episode as we have <laughs> in this one. Um, and I think partly just because I think some of the things have kind of seeped into even non some of the things that, which maybe came out of patriarchy have seeped into maybe not so patriarchy circles but mm -hmm. so one of the things and th this was kind of a debate is this idea that daughters are under the authority of their fathers and must submit to him and there's a lot of questions we get from single women quite often will come in and and ask am, am i under the authority of my father um, do I have to submit to my father? Could you maybe speak to that a little bit? Because I think I think this is an important topic. Sure, um, it is, and it it's a difficult one for a lot of people um, to kind of wrap their heads around. Um, I, I believe that Scripture teaches that all Christians are supposed to honor their fathers and mothers. Right, the Bible says it; we should do it. Children are told to obey their parents, but what that looks like. Um, will vary with age and with the season of life. So, you know, for my my young children living in the home, you know, they have a particular meaning of, you know, when I say to do something, honoring me, obeying me means something different. Um, for me as a, a grown woman with my own family, um, honoring my parents, right? Um, uh, children, I believe, should be raised to be uh, independent and fully functioning in society boys and girls. Um, our goal is to have them be adults who love God, um, who um, who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? That they can serve God the way God has called them to. So when we say that we should honor our parents as adults, um, it means we listen to them, we respect their opinions, we um, take care of them as they need help, we appreciate them, you know, it, these are ways that we honor them, but we also honor them by living lives um, as independent people, right? That this is, we are honoring the work that they did in raising us. Um, I don't believe that adult daughters uh, 
owe a particular type of obedience to their fathers. Um, I, I don't believe that that is consistent with scripture. I think that there are cultural ideas about it that we see um, with, you know, for example, women would have, would have always lived at home until they married. If they didn't marry, they would stay at home. It was a cultural, it's not a, a, a biblically mandated approach um, to women. And there's just, you know, there's no reason that a woman who is grown up and who is capable should have to stay in her father's home or live as if she's a child in relationship to her father simply because she doesn't have a husband. I don't know if that answers your question as yeah. well. That's that's a good that's a yeah. good I think that's helpful. And actually was was thinking when you were talking, I I went off to college in mm -hmm. another state. I, I went across the country, um, first to the to the from the west coast to the east coast and then the Midwest. And um and I, I think about like when my husband and I started dating, you know, my husband mm -hmm. did not call my dad and in fact this was I got married and I guess we started dating the beginning of 1995, got married later that year. And it, um, I kissed dating goodbye was really popular. About oh, yeah. that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was, I was sitting there thinking, how, how would that even work? Like in my <laughs> situation, in my situation, but my, but my husband out of respect for my father did go to him to ask his blessing yes. um, when we got married. And so I think that there are many ways, and I think that's, I think that was a way that he honored my parents, not, and something that my dad, you know, appreciated, but not in the same way that the courtship um, yes. model would necessarily um, look like. When, when my husband and I met, um, I was working full-time, he was in grad school, um, and so, you know, we were very independent, we were on our own. But when it came time, you know, he was going to ask me to get to, to marry him. He did talk to my dad and my dad told him that, you know, he, he didn't need, need permission. He had his blessing. And, you know, my dad told me that he felt like he had raised me to know how to make good decisions and he trusted me to make them. And I know that if I had been making a really bad choice, I'm sure my father would have said something, you know, he, he would have spoken up and taken, you know, but, you know, I think that that is appropriate that, you know, that's, that's what we want. We want to raise our children to be able to make their decisions, to be able to be, that's what I mean, fully functioning adults. They need to be able to be wise. And that's an example that we've done well, that they can do that, you know, mm -hmm. they can take those steps and be, um, be mature adults, you know. Um, yeah. But, you know, of course, within the patriarchy movement, it is a particular issue about not wanting to send children, not wanting to send daughters particularly to college. Um, you'll hear it's a waste of time and money since they're just going to be moms. What do they need an education, a higher education for? Um, they don't need to study theology because they'll just need to, to adopt whatever theology their husbands have, you know, that we have this. They have this very um, limited and diminished view 
of uh, the worth of a woman and hmm. you know that education ed- educating women should be a good goal because women are made in the image of God and they are worth educating right whatever we end up doing with it it's still it's never a waste i was talking about that with a friend yesterday and saying that must be so hard if you're if you're raised in that environment and we were saying we know we know families that don't teach math past you know sixth grade or something and because they're not going to need it anyway or that kind of thing and um if you never get married or you know that's that's hard if you're if you're raised being told you're just going to be a wife and a mother and you never get married or you can't have children or um that would or your be, husband dies or he leaves yeah. you or he's he something happens and you need to work yeah uh, you know there are so many ways in which you're limiting and even if you if they expect women to teach their children but then mm-hmm. they don't educate the women. How can the women teach the children? Right. Yeah. So that is the end of part one of our interview with Rachel. Be sure to tune in next week for part two of our interview with Rachel. And now we will go to our Yeah About That segment. All right. So I have a Yeah About That sent into us. From Abby, from our group, one of the admins from our group. And I should mention, if you find a yeah about that, you can message us on Facebook or email us at theologygals at gmail.com because we're always looking for them. And this is what this one says. She says, or the gal in the quote says, notice that this scripture instruct, oh, I should read the scripture. So it's, she's talking about First Thessalonians 318 and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And she says about it, notice that this scripture instructs us to give thanks in all things, not for all things. When tragedy or temptation strikes, we are not to thank God for them. He is not the author. He's the one who provides our way of escape from them. And that's what we're to thank him for. So what do you think? Okay. I'm having a hard time. Can you read it again? Okay. Yeah. Notice that this scripture instructs us to give thanks in all things, not for all things. When tragedy or temptation strikes, we are not to thank God for them. I mean, that's a, that's the basic. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know about the thanking God for temptation. I mean, she, is, she may be right on that one. I haven't thought about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do think that we can thank God in our suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Because our suffering produces fruit. We're told that um, in James that. Yeah. To have joy in trials because it's producing fruit. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we live in a fallen world. And so sickness and and loss and, and trials and and the. They're, they're difficult things, but the wonderful thing is that that in Scripture, we see all of the good ways that the Lord uses uses our suffering. And so she, but one thing she said was a way of escape. And um, I don't think that we're promised a way of escape from all suffering. So that, and it is 
this was from someone I believe is kind of more word of faith. So I understand what they're saying now. Yeah. That's like the people that say God never gives you, gives you more than you can handle. It's like, that's not biblical. Like, of course he gives us more than we can handle. Like that's, that's what a trial is. It's teaching us to lean on him because it's so overwhelming, you know, that what's been placed in front of us. Yeah, exactly. And I think I had mentioned this before, but we got a one who about this idea that God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And this is a gal that has a a child with health issues that are pretty severe and has gone this gal's gone through several other things and she says and people always say this to me, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And she said I it's not biblical to say that. And she even sent me some some articles on that. But I think that that's an example, one of those things that people say and maybe haven't thought it through. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think logically, like, of course he gives us more than we can handle. I just think it sounds nice. You know, it goes on a card, a Hallmark card or something. Yeah. But it, it doesn't actually line up with what we know to be true in scripture. Well, I think this is with what with what we talked about to Rachel about in today's episode and with anything, this is why we want to encourage going to scripture. And mm-hmm. and I did want to mention too that uh, as part of this, after our couple of episodes with Rachel, and I don't know if it'll be immediately after or later, but Ashley and our I are going to talk uh, since we're kind of talking right with Rachel about the what isn't biblical. We are going to talk about, you know, biblical womanhood and what is biblical. What mm-hmm. what are women called to? What things can they do? What what things are f- only for men to do? And some of those different things. Because I think that I'm guessing that those questions will come out of this episode. So um, we will talk about those in a future in a future episode at some point so we only scheduled kind of a couple weeks out but um, (laughs) we will get to that well this was only part one with Rachel and Mm -hmm. we'll be playing the second half of the interview for next week's podcast so you can join us then and again I'm putting a I've got a bunch of great resources. Rachel gave me the name of a, a book, which I'm linking in the resources. It's called Not Complementarian Nor Egalitarian, I think is what it's called, something like that. And then several articles that she has written about patriarchy, we will also be linking in the episode. So definitely check those out and be sure to listen to part two next week. 